me a little louder. There we go. Um, so I, um, I just want to say real quick as a follow-up to um, the prayer we just had for Curtis and Abby, they're going to be hanging out after service. So if you want to go and bless them, um, they're going to be there in the lobby. So on your way out, hang a right. We're going to have a line. Keep it brief. You know, it's COVID still going on. So we're going to just do a quick line and bless them um, as, as you go out today. Um, and there will be small cupcakes available. So one cupcake, everyone. Come on. Um, so uh, I'm really excited to share with you all this morning. I, I want to, for those of you here that last week, it's going to be a continuation of last week's message. And for those of you who weren't, I'm going to give a quick overview of what, what's been covered. Last week, uh, we looked at how Jesus is a different type of king. So we, we talked specifically about three components of Jesus as a different type of king than the worldly kingdoms and the kings that we see in this day and age. We mentioned how he's a suffering king, he's a just king, and he's a commissioning king. Three really important aspects of what he did that the kings before him did not display, but this is who our God is. So today, well, we also spoke about how he was, he's, a, he's a savior, yes, but he's not just a savior, he's a king. And how Christ, because his, his message was not just salvation, salvation was a part of it, but his message was the kingdom, we need to understand him as a king first and foremost. That, that is what he's come to do is rule and reign on the earth. And there's a lot of components to that, which I'm going to try to extrapolate today as best we can. But to, today, I, I want to talk a little bit more about this message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And the title of today's message is The Coming Kingdom. All right? So we're going to talk about the coming kingdom and some key components of what the kingdom of God is and some, some surprising aspects that we that we should know if we're going to be aligning with his kingdom for this hour that we live in. Because how many of you all know, you saw it this morning, we, we're a house that intercedes, that prays, and we prayed, we sang the song, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying the prayers that Jesus asked us to pray. But what does that mean? Like, how, how does that, knowing that, how does, how does the kingdom, the understanding of the kingdom will direct our prayers? So if we're to pray in alignment with God, we have to understand his kingdom message and how our role within that, within the kingdom of God manifesting on the earth. Because we do have a role. He's a commissioning king. And, and that is one component that uh, is, quite, is quite confusing to many. Um, so I'm going to hope to unpack all of that in a short amount of time this morning. Kingdom of God, what is that? Um, well, the definition we talked about last week, the spiritual rule and reign of God. It, it's his rule and reign over specific area. So it, it is when he's ruling and reigning in its entirety, in its fullness. That's the kingdom of God in terms of a definition. Kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. We see this in Psalm 145. The kingdom of God will crush every worldly kingdom. Daniel 2. Check out Daniel 2. The book of Daniel's got all sorts of these amazing um, storylines that are packaged in these powerful dreams and his interpretations. But Daniel 2 shows us that the kingdom of God will come like a stone and, it, and every other kingdom will crumble and his kingdom will grow and advance and it's an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. These are key components of what the kingdom of God is and this is what Jesus was preaching about the most. So let's be aware of, of what he's saying and why he's saying it. The kingdom of God will be fully established when Jesus returns. Fully established. So we're going to talk today about how he, Jesus brought the kingdom, but there is, this, there, there is still this delay. 
before the fullness of the kingdom will come and manifest on the earth. Very important point. Um, Revelation 11.5 says, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's where this is going, but it's not there yet. But that's where we're going. Daniel 7 says, The saints will receive the kingdom and possess it. So we talked a bit last week of how we are actually kings and priests. So we're a part of God's kingdom, and we actually get to serve as kings and priests, some now and, and also later in a different facet when the kingdom of God comes to earth. I know you're like, whoa, what is, we're talking like, and we're talking about these concepts because I feel the second coming of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom, it's really under-taught. In, in the church at large, in my opinion. In the modern church, we don't understand where things are going. And if you don't know where things are going, and you don't know your place in it, then you're prone to wander, or you're prone to not be engaged in the things that God has for us right here, right now. Um, so we're looking in the, in the future so that we can understand our present role. And that, that's so important. It's so key. Um, so as I mentioned today, the message is the coming kingdom, and specifically understanding the times and the seasons that we're in. So we, if you look in the scriptures, right, if you look at the life of Jesus, so many that were very well learned and understood the scriptures, they did not understand who Jesus was. They did not understand the role that they had to play. They did not, it says they did not, um, they didn't know the time of their visitation. And so, uh, so why was that? Well, they had a bunch of mis, um, not misconstrued, but um, misunderstandings, we'll say that, on how the Messiah, what the Messiah was supposed to do. So the first century Jews, they believed that the Messiah was going to first and foremost come in and defeat the pagan powers, right? The Romans, the oppressors at that time, that was, was what was going to happen. But what happened? Jesus was, was killed by the, the pagan powers. Okay, how's, that, that doesn't work. Um, secondly, they thought that, that the Messiah was going to rebuild and cleanse the temple, but what happened? Well, first of all, nothing happened. The temple continued to be really controlled by the Romans. And, you know, and then in AD 70, the temple was completely destroyed. Well, what else did they think? They thought that the kingdom, or that the Messiah, rather, was going to bring God's justice to the world. But when Jesus came, what happened? Even today, there's lots of injustice, and it's very confusing. So you say, well, Jesus is king, and he came and established his kingdom. But why aren't these boxes being checked? What and that's why so many missed their king, and they still miss him today. So years ago, and some of you, some of you aren't going to know what I'm talking about because you weren't around in 2001 or you were a child. Um, in, in 2001, there was this huge announcement um, that came forth, and it was, it was on Good Morning America. It was on, like billboards, everybody was talking, and they said, you know what, this, we're announcing this transformational um, movement that's going to that's gonna change cities all over the globe, and it's going to redefine transportation as we know it. So there was this huge announcement, this big marketing push, and, and lots of excitement and hubbub. And, and so here it is, we're going to unveil it, the very thing that's going to transform cities everywhere. And what was it? Segways, yes, segways. There's Jeff Bezos right there, riding his segway down Wall Street. And so there was all this hype and all this excitement, 
And, and here it is. And then if you can show the next slide, here's what really, here's what happened with Segways. That's what they became, you know, and that's what they still are to this day, right? Like people doing little tours. And it's so easy to find goofy pictures of Segways because every picture of a Segway is a goofy picture of somebody on a Segway because they're goofy products. Um, so, <laughs> so there was this great announcement and this excitement um, and then it really flopped and it, and it, and it didn't progress. And so, so I say that funny story to say in the time of Jesus leading up to him, there was lots of these exciting announcements being made. There was, there was these men and women claiming to have to be the Messiah themselves, claiming to come and restore the Jewish nation, claiming to do the things the Messiah was going to do. But each of them had a level of disappointment. Each of them weren't able to fulfill the things that they said. And so it was a lot of hype. And so you have these um, people like Judah Maccabee who led, you know, a revolution and who liberated um, Jerusalem for a season. But then at the end, he fell. At the end, he was unable to sustain the things that he was claiming that he could do, that he could accomplish. You have even Herod the Great who rebuilt the temple and reestablished some of the temple functions. And you're thinking, oh, like the... These are messianic prophecies. These great men are going to bring forth all they promised, and then it would fall short again. So this is the context when Jesus steps on the scene. And so you understand why there's a, a level of doubt because he's saying really bold, announcing things. He's going to transform and change that the kingdom of God is at hand. And people are saying, well, we've heard this stuff before. Nah, we've heard this stuff before, and we're not buying it. And how many of you know right now there's people that might even be in this room You've heard, you've, you've heard some of these proclamations of who Jesus is. You've heard about his kingdom, and you're like, yeah, I don't, I've heard a lot of promises. I've heard a lot of Christians say a bunch of things, but I don't see it backed up, and I don't believe it. And so there's doubt today similar to what there was back then because there's been promises unfulfilled. But we talked last week, Jesus is able to fulfill all of his promises, every single one. And his death and resurrection proves that he's capable of being in our shoes, but he's, he's, he's empowered, he has been empowered and now enthroned in heaven to intercede on our behalf to actually see us set free. But there's a timeline, there's a waiting, there's a component that can lead a lot to doubt in our heart. But the reality is his kingdom has come and it will come in its fullness and nothing can change that. And nothing can shake that kingdom. And so Jesus comes and he gives this, I'll call it the state of the kingdom address, right? We have a state of the union with our nation, and the president will get up and say, here's what's happening in the nation. Here's what we're going to do. And sometimes it's a bunch of, most of the time, it's just a bunch of hubbub, right? It's just a lot of nice things. But Jesus gives the state of the kingdom, and you better listen to what he's saying because it's all going to happen. And the people listening, they didn't believe it, right? They tried to push him off a cliff, actually, um, which that's a whole other part of the story. But I want to read Luke 4. This is the state of the kingdom. And Jesus is, the kingdom is, is now forcefully advancing from this point on. Like, this is the moment Christ has come out from the temptation. So he's been out in the wilderness. He's been tempted by the devil. The devil's offered him the kingdoms of the world, said, hey, look at the splendor. Look at these great kingdoms. Do you want this? All you got to do is worship me. And you have it all. So he's offering him this, and Jesus says, nah, I'm good. I got a better way, my father's way. And, here's a, and I'm, I'm going to walk it out right now, right after the temptation. So that's the setting. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. 
Luke 4, verse 16, reading from NIV. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He's in his home synagogue, and he's reading a very weighty book that was written 700 plus years ago. And here's what he says. He began, to, he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is quite a statement. The magnitude of that statement is I, the one talking to you, am the Messiah, and the kingdom is coming now. And so it says at first they were bewildered by his, by his words. They were bewildered by, like, in a good way. They were like, wow, that was amazing. This guy, you know, they felt the power of what he said. But then they got to thinking. They said, we know this guy. Isn't that Joseph's son? And they began to doubt. And they began to get angry at what he had proclaimed. And then he pronounces judgment. And he says, hey, this thing is for the Gentiles. And then they got really angry about that. So that's how that went down, like a... Um, like a bad sandwich, um, <laughs> a tuna sandwich, I don't know. Um, so it didn't go down well, but, but it's from this point on that the scriptures say he now went out and he declared, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So now his ministry is kicking off and he's going to back up what he said in Luke 4 in this state of the kingdom. Jesus is going to back it up. So how does he back it up? Well, we're going to go through that a little bit. But one of, the, one of the greatest ways he backs up what he says is he demonstrates the kingdom through power. He demonstrates it by the demon-possessed people come up to him, and all of a sudden, in one word, they're out. They're gone. And they're screaming like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> you are the son of God. It says that they're screaming that as they come out of these people. So he not only makes an announcement, but now he begins to demonstrate what he's just announced. And people are caught up in this because they've never seen this type of authority. They're used to Pharisees, those that maybe read the scriptures, know the scriptures, but they don't exercise authority as Jesus is doing. And so it, it floors them and they start to, you know, follow him in mass and people say, maybe this, maybe he is who he says he is. Heaven seems to be breaking in just as he's declared when he read the, he read the book of Isaiah um, at the start of his ministry. So when I was, um, when I was just, just walking with the Lord, pretty new, maybe, I don't know, three or four years, I, I got really zealous for, um, for the homeless and reaching the homeless. And so my buddies and I, we would go and we would pray for different men um, at a local downtown area where I lived at the time. And we brought uh, one of the guys home, and he was like, you know, he's pretty rough shape. And so I brought him to my house, and I, you know, gave him a shower, let him use, you know, shave up, and kind of get 
you know, looking, looking like himself again. And we're going through all this, and he's talking to me the whole time. And, like, he doesn't have fond things to say about me. <laughs> he's like, you know, like, you know, so great you're helping me out, but you're not really like the other Christians that I meet in the prisons. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he says, yeah, you know, like, you guys are all real nice, but you don't have power. Like, you, you don't really, like, you're just doing works, and you don't actually have the power to back it up. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, like, are you for real? You're sitting on my couch right now. Like, you're in my house. Like, I'm helping you out, and you're, you're calling me a Pharisee, basically? And so it, it really offended me. <laughs> and I didn't tell him. I was just kind of like, dude, like, you know, you're in my house. But, um, but he just went in, and he said, yeah, these, these, these spirit-filled men and women, they come into the prisons, and they put, they put a hand on you, and you'll feel the power of God shoot through your body. And he's like, and I've seen people delivered by, the, by these men and women, but you don't seem to have that. <laughs> it's like, dang, dang, man. So he ran me over the coals, and, you know, I went back to my mentor afterward who had encouraged me, and I said, hey, I did what you said to do, and the guy called me a Pharisee. Like, what do you think about that? And he said, hey, maybe this guy's got something, maybe he's telling you something you need to learn. Like, maybe there's wisdom, even if the delivery is a little rough. Some of you need to hear that, because some people have given you wisdom, but they've delivered it like that, and it hasn't gone down well, and you need to eat some of it and just spit out the bones. Um... So that's a side word right there. <laughs> so I understood, okay, the kingdom comes with power, and I'm missing something. God, I want that. God, if I want your kingdom to come and manifest, like, it, it comes with power. And the way you did it is not just something to look about or talk about or write some nice poetry about. It, you actually have activated me to operate in the power that you displayed on the earth because I'm your hands and feet now. And your kingdom's coming through, through me, through you, through us. And so it really shook me up. And, um, and Jesus, when he was displaying this power, it really challenged people. I mean, you know, power is not like seeker-friendly stuff. Like, <laughs> like it, he challenged the Pharisees because he displayed something they didn't have. And in fact, they didn't know what to do about it. So they just said, well, we'll, we'll say that Satan's power. That's what we'll do. We'll claim that Jesus, he's got this power because he's in line with Satan. And so that's what they said. Um, and I want to read Matthew. This is chapter 12, verse 25. And, and this is this text. Um, but, it is, but if it is by the Spirit of God, this is Jesus responding to the Pharisees' challenge. If it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions Unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. So Jesus is saying, if it's by the Spirit, then the kingdom of God is actually here. And the reason you know it's here is because Satan's getting plundered. And the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. So Satan's getting plundered. Power is breaking out. And this is not this divided kingdom within Satan's realm. This is the kingdom of God. That's above every other kingdom. And I'm going to display it to you as you see Satan and his minions flee and scream and run out of people. And, and so he made it very clear that it was this power was from a greater kingdom. And as he told Pilate, this is a kingdom not of this world. But the kingdom not of this world was pressing in on this world and bodies were being healed. 
and demons were being influenced. So it's not of this world, yes, but it's having physical, real, tangible results in the world. And so, so we see these things taking place, and then you've got Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and he's, he is the one, if you remember, we talked about him last week, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He understands who Jesus is very early on before many others do. He, and he, he is the one that said, I must be, he must become greater, I must become less. So John understands his role as to pave the way for Jesus. But John then finds himself in prison, and he hears all these things Jesus is doing, but there is, there's doubt in John's heart about who Jesus really is. He had a lot of faith in that moment, but now things are kind of shaky. He's in prison, he's on death row, and, and so that's where we pick, pick this up. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things, these miracles, these demons being driven out. Calling, calling two of them out, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You hear that? His circumstance really messed with him. He, he did not understand what, the, what was going on, like how the kingdom was going to come. And so he asked, is he the one to come, or is someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to his messengers, go back, report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who comes, who, anyone who does not stumble on account of me. See, what he announced in Luke 4, he backed up in the rest of the chapters of Luke. And he's using it to give courage and strength to John, who is going through something that he does not understand. He's saying, God, you're ruling and reigning, okay? You're in charge, but I'm in prison. I'm on death row. I'm about to die. I don't understand why the kingdom is coming this way. And some of us, we, we have these same questions, different situations, same questions. God, if you're in charge and your kingdom's come, why am I going through these things? Why are these things happening around me? But the question is, how will you respond? We don't know how John responded. But how will you respond when things don't, the kingdom doesn't come the way you thought it would? Even though you know that what Jesus said is real, it's true. You've seen his power. You're confident in who he is. But then your circumstances, they say something else. But what are you going to listen to? What are you going to align? you going to align with this kingdom? Are you going to align with, I'm on death row and I don't know what's going on? So the kingdom is very surprising. And somebody that tells you they understand the components of the kingdom doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. <laughs> Because they don't, because it's, it's complex, and, and we, don't, we don't understand why God does the way he, what he does. But I want to go today, I want to talk about four specific surprising aspects of the kingdom of God. Four surprising aspects of the kingdom of God, all right? And I think, I hope this will help unpack things for, for you and for myself as we're going and we're a part of his kingdom 
and we're experiencing things that we don't quite understand. Um, so surprising aspect number one, the kingdom of God works from the inside out. The kingdom of God works from the inside out. We're so used to things happening externally first, we, and the internal is so hidden and hard to understand. You see uh, Nicodemus, the, the Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night, and he's asking these hard questions. He's trying to understand the kingdom of God. He's hungry. And, and he, says, he says to Nicodemus, and, unless you're born again, unless you have spiritual rebirth, you, can't, you won't enter or understand the kingdom of God. It, it's a spiritual thing. It, it's an inside deep work that that is it, that's what it's going to take for you to actually understand and enter the kingdom and nicodemus is like bewildered he's like can i go back into a woman like and and you know can i can i be reborn i mean, I mean he is like he's really trying to figure this out and he's really perplexed <laughs> it's kind of funny you know that's the real story because it's like wow he really didn't know what was going on um so the pharisees they were looking for the kingdom many just like nicodemus but they were looking for it through an external viewpoint, all right? They, they thought that by their actions, by their piety, by following their traditions, that was going to be what would bring the kingdom in its fullness. If they just stuck by the law, if they did the things that God told them to do, then they, in their own strength, would bring forth the kingdom of God. That's how they thought it was going to work. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he comes in power and he comes and he and he he's talking about an internal transformation, a rebirth that doesn't compute. I don't get that. And many of you maybe can relate when these crazy Christians come telling you, you need to be born again. And you say, what are you talking about? Like, I'm I'm following a great moral. I've got these great goals and this great morality and 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 I'm doing good. Like, I don't understand why you're saying I need this Jesus guy. And we see this sort of, we see this thing in the church today, but I see it in secular culture, maybe even more than the church. This idea of like, if you have this great morality and you're pious and you say and you do the right things, then you're okay. Then you're on the right side. Then you're doing your part. You're fulfilling your role. And there's this level of peace in checking off all the moral boxes. And let me tell you, there's no peace in that place. There really isn't. Because there's no transformation, and there's no, that's a kingdom of this world that's about to be shaken and fall away. But the kingdom of God will last forever. And, and so that's the kingdom that I want to be aligned with. And this sense of external morality and piety just ain't going to cut it. Um, all right, so number one, kingdom of God works from the inside out. Number two, the kingdom of God has a gap between the announcement and the fulfillment of the kingdom. Really interesting point, Colt. Very well thought through. <laughs> so there's this, there's this gap. And think, think about it this way. King David was anointed, right? He was anointed with the oil from the prophet and said, you're going to be king. But he wasn't king yet. <laughs> he was going to be king. This was happening. His kingdom was going to be established. But it took time. And even though it was anointed and done, it, it, there was a process before it came into its fullness. Look at it this way. Even in, in American history, right? 1776, the Declaration of Independence. We come out and we announce, that's what Jesus was doing in Luke 4, announcing a, we, are, we are a nation. 
we are we are not connected with Europe. We are our own nation, and so so we're we're declaring our independence from Great Britain, and this is who we are. But that declaration, you know, that was real and that was coming. But it took five years before the Battle of Yorktown. It took a final battle for that announcement to come into full maturity into America to become an actual nation. So there's an announcing, and it's real, and it's powerful, and the kingdom's moving, but the fulfillment is still yet to come. That's the second coming of Christ. And that's so confusing, especially to a first century Jew, because they thought the Messiah was going to come, and the whole thing will be done in one shebang. They didn't realize there was a second coming. They didn't realize how the kingdom was supposed to work. So... They didn't realize that there was a rocky and a confusing road in between the kingdom being announced and the kingdom being fulfilled. And so the question I would ask you all is, are you, I'm asking this to myself, are we, are we offended by the delay, by the wait in between what God says he's doing, and he is doing it in some measure, but the fullness measure, the fullness of what he said. Are we offended because if we're offended, we won't be aligned with his kingdom coming now. If we're offended, we may also try to take things in our own hands and do like the Pharisees did and try to bring the kingdom through our own morality, our own piety. Try to bring justice because well, we see the injustice and we don't know what to do with it. We say, this isn't right, but we'll try to do it on our own strength. Now, Jesus, if you look at Matthew 24 and 25, you know, Sal referenced today, you know, Jesus coming in on the donkey, establishing his kingdom. Look at those scriptures. As Jesus has, a has come into Jerusalem, he's giving signals in the, in the parables he tells, hey, you guys, this kingdom's going to be delayed. The master is not coming when you think he's going to come. Be watchful. Be waiting. Be ready, because it's not going to look the way you think. And the word delayed is used quite often. The parable of the ten bridesmaids um, if you look at the thief, talk about the thief coming at the unexpected hour, he's giving hints. My kingdom is not going to be coming the way you think it is and the timing that you think. All right. So number one was the kingdom of God works on the inside out. Number two was the kingdom of God ha has a gap between the announcement and the fulfillment. And the number three surprising point, the kingdom of God is advanced through the people of God. The kingdom of God is advanced through the people of God. Seems quite simple. It can be very offensive. Because <laughs> how many of you know, if, you, if you're married, you know this very well, that we are flawed human beings. That even kingdom people got issues. And God said, you're the ones that I'm going to put in charge. You're the ones I'm going to give authority to. And you're going to bring the kingdom. We said, what? Me? Lord, have you seen the disciples? Do you see what they're up to? So Matthew 10, or let's look at Matthew 10, verse 7 through 8. And this is the authority that he gives his, Jesus gives his disciples. And this is not just for that moment. This is something that we need to be aware of right now in the present age. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So what I've declared, now you declare it. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give he's a commissioning king and he sends them out with his authority 
They don't go out with theirs. They go out with his, speaking his message. And what happens? Things shift. Satan, they, we saw Satan fall like lightning. We saw people delivered and healed. They see it all. The things that Jesus did, we're able to do. But then what else happens? You've got James and John, and they see things they don't like. And they say, hey, let's just call down fire on this Samaritan village. Why not? These people aren't listening to us. They don't receive the kingdom. Let's call down fire on them, Jesus. And Jesus rebukes them. But it shows you he's given authority to people who can be reckless with that authority. And that can be very offensive. And we've all seen it. We've been, we've been burned by it in different, in different ways. But God still entrusts his people with the kingdom. And it's a mystery, honestly, in why he chooses to do that. We know it's relational. We know, like, his heart is for relationship. But he entrusts a lot to people that are broken. And, yeah, we're transformed. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But we still, we're impartial. We're, we're, we're trying to be whole. But we're still... We're not there all the way. Um, Matthew 16, starting at verse 15. So Jesus is saying, you know, they're telling him what other people think about him. You know, the disciples are saying, yeah, people think you're Elijah, think you're this, think you're that. And here's the, he says in verse 15, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you, here's the key line, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. How many know Peter was very trustworthy, but he had a lot of issues. And God entrusted him with the keys to the kingdom of God. And the church, you and me, with the keys. It's quite a statement. All right, fourth point. So I'm just going to go through the first three again because I like to repeat myself. Surprising aspects of the kingdom of God. Number one, the kingdom of God works from the inside out. Number two, the kingdom of God has a gap between the announcement and the fulfillment. Number three, the kingdom of God is advancing through the people of God. And number four, the kingdom of God advances through suffering and through death. We talked about this point last week. Really key point. It's what John was dealing with. John the Baptist, what? I'm suffering. Things are not going the way I want. And Jesus says, I'm ruling and reigning. The kingdom has come. This is how it's going down. That's hard to understand. Matthew, we're going to continue with this verse. Matthew 16. Now we're going into verse 21. So Peter has just declared, this is who Jesus is. I've got it. And he says, you've got the keys of the kingdom, Peter. You've got it, man. You're, you're, you're empowered. And now here's his next response from Peter. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem Suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, 
and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for, my, for me will find it. Peter knew who Jesus was, but he did not understand the kingdom. We can, we can understand who Jesus is, but miss our role in how the kingdom is coming in our day and age. And it took a lesson for Peter to figure it out, but he got it. So there is faith and there's grace for you and I when we don't understand God's kingdom. Because Peter wasn't, he was put in charge. And Jesus rebuked him and said, called him Satan. <laughs> so how many of you know, if you're a leader and you're leading something and you, you, know, you got it dead wrong, it does not disqualify you from the work of the kingdom. Not in the least. Now, he repented. He came to terms with his mistakes, but he wasn't taken out of commission. He was still in the commission of the commissioning king. So I want to tell you a story real quick as I wrap, as I wrap up. Um, my daughter, Fern, I was telling her the other day, she said, Daddy, what are you, you going to teach on? She's six years old. And I said, um, so I'm going to teach about Jesus as king. She said, oh, I know about that. And she, <laughs> really? So she comes and she gets her kid Bible out. And she brings it up to me and she opens it up. She's like, right here. This is all about that. And it's, it's the book of Revelation in the kid Bible. <laughs> and it's like, it's like a big map. Um, it's, it's really like, it's like the calmest way to describe what's happening in the throne room, like seen in Revelation. Because Jesus is on the throne, and there's all this fun stuff going along. They leave out the, the creatures with the eyes and everything. They freak the kids out. They don't, they don't leave that out. But Jesus is on the throne. So I was like, you're right. That is Jesus as king. You're right, Firm. And, and she, says, uh, she says, yeah, this is in the last book of the Bible, right? I was like, yeah, it's Revelation. She said, my teacher told me that book is scary. I said, what did she tell you? <laughs> what did your teacher tell you? She told you the book of Revelation is scary. I said, oh, how about we, let's read it. Like, maybe that'll take the edge off. So we go to the book of Revelation, and we go to the, we go to the very end. I think we started, like, chapter 21. It's like, let's read what happens at the end first. And so we start reading through it, and, and she's like, her eyes are, like, big as saucer. She's like, oh, wow. Oh, like, what's the lake of fire? Tell me more about that. Like, and, and so, oh, there's a kingdom. Oh, are there princes, princesses? Can I get a princess body when I go to heaven? You know, and, and so she, there's all these great questions coming out. But we read through where the kingdom is going in the second coming of Christ, the new heaven, the new earth, the establishing of the new Jerusalem. And let me tell you, she wasn't scared. She was excited. She was thrilled. And I said, I said, what do you think, Fern? And she said, I want to read the other parts of the book of Revelation. <laughs> I want to understand how Satan got thrown into there. I want to understand the, the, the storyline. It actually wasn't enough to read her just the end. She loved it, and it, it really entertained her and excited her. But even that childlikeness in each and every one of us, we want to go through a process. We were made for stories. We were made to be in places of tension, to have moments of not understanding what's taking place, and to see the victory of God come to pass. So in her childlike state, she wanted to go back. She wanted to get into the other parts of the book. And for you and I, I think we, we sometimes just want to move forward 
and just see the kingdom come in its fullness and, and just see all the stuff that's been promised. But we were made for this moment. We were made to be in this process. We were made to intercede and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We were made to face trials and struggles. But by this empowerment of his spirit, we overcome. And when we overcome with him, we come in fellowship and connection with his heart. And it's so richer, it's so much better than Jesus coming and just establishing the kingdom with his own power and his own authority and no help. This life is so much better than that narrative. And sometimes we want that narrative, but we don't understand how beautiful and magnificent and brilliant God is in his plans. So I want the plans of God. I don't understand them, but I want them because I know he's beautiful and his ways are perfect. And there's something in this season we're in in that we get to be in this gap between the kingdom coming and starting and the kingdom being fulfilled. There's a beauty that we get to partake in with Jesus, in communion with him and with one another. Because he said, I'll never leave you and forsake you. He commissioned you to disciple the nations, but he's doing it with us. It's a very different way of approaching things. Um, worship team, if you, could, if you could go ahead and come up. Um, I want to end on this note. Um, you know, we're a house of prayer, and I know some of you are new, and we did a whole orientation last week um, for those that are new. And if, if you're new and you want to hear that, I'm happy to send it to me. Just come let me know. Um, but we are, we are a house of prayer. We're a house that intercedes and, that, and believes in standing in the gap and praying that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. God, you said it. We want to see it manifest on the earth. And we understand that it's our role to pray it because that's how it gets done. <laughs> we went through the book of Revelation. Things come forth because the prayers of the saints are poured out. The prayers of the saints matter, and they're, they're bringing forth this kingdom in the gap that we're currently in. So I really feel like it's key for our house to understand this kingdom narrative, where things are at and where they're going, so that we can pray in accordance with them, so that we can find strength through the Holy Spirit to persevere and to pray his heart and his will for our season. How many of you know we need God's wisdom so much right now? I mean, we're praying as a leadership team. We're like, God, give us wisdom. There's like so many things happening on the earth, and we don't understand how to traverse them all, but we know you do, and your spirit is going to guide us and direct us. So when we pray, we pray in two ways. We pray with authority, authority, right? I just gave you the scriptures. Jesus has given us the keys. He's given us authority to heal, to deliver. We pray with authority, yes. We also pray in humility, because we know his kingdom works in ways that we don't always understand. And we want things to happen in certain ways. And maybe that's not what he wants. Maybe he's got different plans. Maybe he's doing something more beautiful than we can possibly understand. And we need to be follow his leadership. So we pray with humility and we pray with authority. Could everybody stand up for me? So I just want to encourage you, there's things right now that you're going to need grace for that are going to be hard and challenging to your mind, and you're going to need grace to traverse. So we're going to pray into that today. There's other things that God wants to do now that the world and our fleshly minds have a hard time seeing, understanding, partnering with. If you look at John 11 verse 24, Jesus, Martha comes to Jesus, and this is when Lazarus has died, okay? So Lazarus has just died, 
and Jesus waits four days to come. And Martha says, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. I know he will. I'm confident that that's going to happen. She understood that when the kingdom comes in the end, he was going to be risen from the dead. She got that. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live. And then he does it. John 11, verse 20, verse 40. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. Let him go. See, some things we're going to have to persevere in because they're challenging and hard. And other things we're going to have to persevere in faith because they're beyond our natural realm of thinking. But in the kingdom, the dead can be raised. Right now, the dead can be raised because Jesus' kingdom has come. And we are the ones that get to administer that reality on the earth as kings and priests. Yes, in the future, but also in the present. So if I just close their eyes. Father, I pray right now for myself and for this company. Would you give us grace to, to overcome when our minds are offended by your kingdom? When we're offended by the things that don't come forth as we thought they would. When we're offended by the things we're asked to, to let go of, costs that we have to pay. Lord, we ask for your grace. Holy Spirit, give us grace just like you did Peter just like you did, John. And Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to come and embolden us to bring forth your kingdom in the places where the world would say, that's impossible. Where the world would see the externalities, they would look only at the natural realm, and we'd say, no, the kingdom is not of this world. Get up, rise, take off your grave clothes, be healed, be cleansed. I come to you with the power and the authority of Christ, and his kingdom will have no end. It's an everlasting kingdom, and it's bearing weight on this world, on this city right now. And so whatever one you need, I want, just as we go into worship, I want you just to, even in your own heart, just pray. Maybe it's both. Say, God, I need, I need the grace for the hard stuff. And God, I need, I need the faith, the empowerment, the, the conviction to press in for the miraculous, for the power of your spirit, for the manifestation of your kingdom. So let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together.